Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special reunion episode of Talking Tolkien. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. And I'm Juliana. I'm the same person as before, just new name and new pronouns, which are they, them. So anyway, it has been approximately four years and two months since we last recorded. Um, For those of you who are unhinged from the current space-time continuum, those last four years and two months were about as close to the reign of Sauron as as mortals will currently live through. So let's just do a quick catch up on where we are in life. Who wants to start? Life imitates art. (laughs) I mean, I I don't, yeah. Updates on life. I think you hit the nail on the head, Juliana. The last four years were, honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there are big significant life events rather than just still currently surviving a global pandemic. There's that. That's what I've been up to mostly. And um, also just try trying to resist. Well, I do have some exciting news, which is that in the middle of the pandemic, I wrote a script for a short film and sent it to a producer who liked it enough to want to produce it with me as director. So I will actually be directing a film that I wrote. It's only going to be 15 minutes long, so not like anything huge, but it's still like I've kind of secretly wanted to do this since I was a teenager and now it's my chance. So that's really friggin' exciting. And yeah, so it is about going to a bar and hooking up with a stranger, which is something that you cannot do right now. So I will admit that the script was written out of a uh, kind of a wistful longing, shall we say. Production on that starts soon. We are recording this the day before Valentine's Day, and we should be filming on April Fool's Day roughly. So anyway, this is a quick pimp out for the fact that I am raising funds for the film through a Kickstarter. It is technically funded through the producer but he owns 100% so if I bring in money then I actually own part of the film and we'll get part of the proceeds so if you can pitch in even five bucks I would really really appreciate it because this is a huge opportunity for me and all the money is going directly into paying actors and crew so our kickstarter can be reached through a shortcut at talkingtolkien.com velvet Again, that's TalkingTolkien.com slash velvet, like the fabric. So normally in Talking Tolkien, this is where we would talk about this week's readings. But, well, we stopped reading together four years ago. But Chase never actually did get an opportunity to wrap up his final feelings on the project as a whole and on Return of the King as a book. So I figured we'd turn it over to Chase for this segment. Oh, yeah. Four years later and reading the books, I mean, so much happened on a personal level that I think I think it, it, in a weird way, it's like, when we did this previously, it was like Silmarillion was this very special, like, I didn't think I was going to love this thing, but I ended up really loving it, even though I felt like every time I read it, I kind of be like, had to be like, I read this. All right, Katie, Juliana, can you please, like, help me get my head around it? And then I loved it even more. Uh, Hobbit was immediately just absolute love. Fathers for the Ring, Two Towers. And then, like, I feel like for Return of the King, it felt like this... Ye- four year long time period where not only have I gone through the process of like I re like I really sat in and loved Return of the King as a book but the whole thing I've actually gone back and have not really done a full reread I've been meaning to do that again but I've definitely have had enough time to where I've gone I've started to feel nostalgic for the series in a way that I didn't expect to feel uh so much so hit very much harder in 2020 when I really had been thinking about doing another reread but it return of the king was just as solid and completely moved and it's really hard to just kind of like break apart the experience from everything else because ultimately what has happened the last four years is all of it has compounded into 
just an absolute love and deep appreciation for Tolkien on a deeper level that I didn't expect because now Tolkien is in my like top 10 favorite authors of all time and probably in top 10 in a way that feels like Tolkien I didn't read Tolkien until I was already in my 20s and now I'm in my 30s and it feels as if Tolkien has always been with me in a weird way like I was reevaluating all the books that made me who I am and definitely Lord of the Rings Silmarillion and all of that definitely fits in into that sort of lineage of sorts um I would say some names but it's kind of like Gerald Tolkien exists in the same list as Stephen King William S. Burroughs like Frank Herbert Mary Roach and Mary and Margaret Atwood uh but I think the biggest the biggest takeaway from talking Tolkien was and I think that's where I have to kind of come down to is the, ex the experience as a whole. And I went through a lot over the last four years where it was basically like two years of living in poverty in a way that I'd never done before while living in New York City and just kind of going to the lowest of lows. And I felt like it really needed, it was really good having Tolkien's words in me and being able to sort of keep that as like a fire going inside of me to keep going in a lot of ways but it really shaped my creative vision to the point where I actually got the sort of confidence and the sort of like what's the word um general push from having read Lord of the Rings to actually start really really being serious about my own writing and since then have written two full manuscripts one that's halfway done and a bunch of short stories like I and I really point at talking Tolkien and reading Lord of the Rings to finally give me the oomph to sort of take my own art seriously you know that's a really good point because I kind of had to do the same thing with myself and here I am now like a film I wrote is being produced and I'm the one who's directing it and that's just like for me to get there, it required me to believe in myself in a way that I was never capable of doing before. But honestly, this show really, really helped me to find that belief in myself because, and here's where I will kind of issue a caveat that when we went into this, we were kind of foolish in the way that we scheduled it because we, we didn't account for things like burnout. And so we didn't schedule seasons and blocks with breaks between them. So we recorded this podcast like 92 or 93 episodes in a row every week and by the end of it that I think combined with just like the stress of living through the 2016 election and the stress of just like always being on um you know had kind of gotten to us and so I think all of us were kind of happy at that point for the show to end just because at that point it was just taking a lot of energy for us to continue with that but I will say after you know, taking a break from podcasting for about two years, out of curiosity, I looked at our iTunes reviews and I was just kind of floored by them. So many people who had reviewed it after we had stopped producing new episodes, you know, around this point, we have like five star rating with something like 80 or 90 reviews, which is, I consider that to be a huge personal success. And a lot of them were really talking about how the three of us helped the listener you know conquer this this unconquerable novel it's like that billy collins poem about finishing war and peace or anna karenina it's one of those long russian novels and <laughs> satirically expecting everyone to like give him an award for finishing something that long but i kind of felt that vibe you know when i was reading those reviews of people saying like you helped me do this thing that i didn't think i could do and you helped me interpret this piece of art 
And as an art historian myself, like that's the greatest praise I could get, knowing that I helped people understand something that they didn't think they were capable of understanding. And so, you know, I definitely have to thank all of you who have reached out over the years and the contact form on our website. I know we haven't responded in years, but it actually still works. And I read everything that we still get. And y'all are sweethearts. And I just wanted to thank you for believing in us. And I think too, you know, like you said, that's the, the highest praise we could ever receive for this project. But also I think it um, 100% illustrates the intent of the project too. You know, we started this as a book club. Um, n- number one, I remember someone randomly asked, I think it was at a New Year's Eve party, um, asking me, Katie, why do dragons love gold? <laughs> and uh, just being excited to launch into whatever tirade I had on that subject. Um, I, I always love to talk about high fan- fantasy and uh, Tolkien in particular, um, just because I think there's, uh, you know, it, it takes it takes putting your teeth into it, right? Um, and the project that we started and what we did for ourselves, if we could produce that same result for other people, that's fantastic. That's the entire point of it was to really, really, really dig in and get to the heart of, of what Tolkien was getting at. I completely agree. And so... In, in the same way that, you know, it's it's not easy for Katie to just explain why do dragons love gold. If you remember, this whole project was started because Chase was playing Shadow of Mordor and he asked me some offhand question about the world building and it took me like an hour to respond. Well, let me tell you about Celebrimbor. Yeah, and it was like, oh, okay, let's turn this into a podcast and thus the podcast began. And so Chase, I think you recently revisited. Well, I mean, it's almost, it almost was like a separate thing in a weird way because like I do really like that Shadow of Mordor game and so I actually it's like one of those games where like I played it a very kind of dark period in my life it was actually around the time when like we, we were having discussions when my grandfather passed away actually I think that's something we've never really talked about on the show was like a lot of like the discussions for this show and the sort of build-up to it was happening around when my grandfather passed away and like I was sort of escaping into, I sort of escaped into the Silmarillion. In fact, the first, I hadn't thought about this in years and I didn't think about it until literally just now that I read the first chapters of the Silmarillion while uh, on my way to my grandfather's funeral, uh, getting in ready for that show. And uh, one of the things that I was interacting with at that time was Shadow of Mordor. And I... I really do actually do remember that we had that conversation where I asked, I think the question I asked was, Hey, Juliana, did people live in Mordor before like all this stuff happened? Define people. (laughs) And those game and that game did not do service, but it definitely did help kickstart this show. And recently actually it was last month. um, I remember very vividly last month and I actually dug into the sequel to that game after four years of having actually read everything that I could. And so wait, what is the sequel to shadow of Mordor? Is it highlight of Mordor? It is called creatively enough shadow of war. And I could not finish it. (laughs) I think technically I made it about a quarter in and it was around the point when uh, it was talking about how Celebrimbor who is a ghost in those games, forges a new ring for some reason. And Shelob, who is appearing as a woman in a black dress, steals it from him. (laughs) 
and that that is that is straight out of spider-man turn off the dark yeah that that was it was and i kind of like and i kind of was like in the mood where i just didn't need to, I was like i don't need to think about this too much i just need to just play this and then it got to a point where it was it just was compounding and compounding and compounding to the point where it was like all right i can't do this anymore <laughs> i just can't do it this is too stupid <laughs> This is too dumb. I just can't do this. Like I, having now actually taken this stuff seriously, instead of just having seen the movies and just being like, I like those or whatever. I just couldn't do it. It just, it just, it just was like, it was like eating really old meat or something. Just like, ah, I can't do this. Another cool thing that's happened since the last time you recorded is two years ago, Juliana sent me the link to uh, that the Morgan Library was announcing that they had um, that the the Tolkien maker of Middle Earth exhibit was going to come uh, and it was going to be from January through March of that year. And I said, okay, yes, we have to go. <laughs> um, and, and we did. And I think also the timing of it. So that was, yeah, that was March, 2019, right? Yes. And we went on March 26th because the museum was closed on March 25th. But it was perfect timing anyway, because it was around the time of the fall of Sauron. So uh, it, it couldn't have been a better time um, for us to enjoy that exhibit. But, um, you know, I, I, I want to delve into the exp actual experience at the exhibit. But I just have to say that morning I woke up and had the feeling in my bones of Bilbo we are going on an adventure. Well, and the special thing to me about that morning is since it was the day after Tolkien Reading Day, like you and I read each other our favorite passages from Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And we both kind of ended up gravitating towards Theoden's speech in Return of the King. And I think we even watched that section from the movies. We were like hyping ourselves so. up with it. <laughs> and then we get to the exhibit and lo and behold, they have the actual sheet from Tolkien's notebook where he wrote that speech in longhand and like scratched lines out and like corrected it and wrote new versions. And I think I stared at that for 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, neither of us knew that that was that we were going to see that when we were reading that quote that morning, I definitely cried when I saw it. And I think it's probably the first time because I've spent a lot of time in museums and a lot of time in archives. And I think this is the first time that I have ever cried at just like, a, like a, a manuscript you know yeah and the 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 entire exhibit too i mean i think we were we, we spent a couple of hours um but i i could have spent days um exploring that ti that tiny exhibit it was only like four small rooms really put together but from his robes from his regalia to um, family pictures dust jackets to numenorean tile art oh yeah that was so cool for me because I remember those Numenorean tiles were on like the 1970s paperback like th three set that my grandparents had. It was on the binding of it that they had in their in their house. And so like seeing his drawings of that, like the, I remember those symbols on the bookshelf from my childhood. And there's something just deeply spiritual almost, I think, um, about one being in the same room as as these pieces and two just taking taking in the the handwriting and seeing things that for with my own eyes directly in front of my own face things that I've seen on pages of books and have loved yeah exactly like seeing his first 
uh, hand-painted copy of the Hobbit dust jacket. With the red sun. Yes, it was, it was truly an incredible experience. And I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I even remember, too, you know, there we were, like I said, I could have spent days in that exhibit um and there were there were a fair number of people um it wasn't too crowded which i was thankful for because i wanted to be able to linger and you know get as close as possible (laughs) to everything and and stare at it as long as i wanted Um, but there were also i i just while we were there i remember having just delightful little conversations with other um, folks who were there to see the exhibits uh some some of them who were more familiar with Tolkien and the, and some who weren't. I had a, just a fun little chat with a lady who was standing next to me when I was looking at some excerpts from the letters from Father Christmas. And I think um, that was something that, that she was not familiar with at all. And so I was talking about the North Polar Bear and my memories of, of my mom <laughs> reading those to me when I was a little girl. And it was just fun. There was a, in addition to just taking advantage of, of my own nerding out while I was there, um, there was also a really interesting sense of community. Yeah. And I've actually been thinking about that a lot because that's something that I really miss from like pre-pandemic days is like going to museums and chatting up with strangers because you're both interested in the same piece of art and just that kind of like intangible connection that happens when you're both looking at something in the same way. See, that's that's remarkable because I because I had heard you talk about this, Juliana, and it, it's fascinating to me about Tolkien is it's something I have to always remind myself about is that like Lord of the Rings didn't come out that like the books did not come out that long ago when you really think about it in the grand scheme of things. They feel like for some reason, my brain wants to tell me that they came out in the 30s, but that's when The Hobbit came out. 54 and 55. Yes, mm-hmm. that he is still like Tolkien is still like those books didn't come out like in the like I said in the grand scheme of things seventy years ago, but not like really that wildly long ago. And he still feels like very like what's what's the word I'm looking for? You just don't get that with many authors. There's not really like many authors that's like presented in that way of pages and you can feel the more like authorial intent of them versus like I did get to see some of Margaret Atwoods, but it definitely felt like my mother's scribblings and some journal. It doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't quite have the presence that this sounds like this had. Like, it sounds like you guys could, you all could get the, you could, it was radiating with Tolkien, basically. A hundred percent. And maybe some of that's just me. And maybe it, maybe there is some like extra quality to things that Tolkien himself has touched and breathed on. <laughs> I'm willing to endorse that. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's also a vibe that you bring to the exhibit and that other people bring to the exhibit. And when everyone's excited to see something, it just changes the way that you approach it. Yeah, I, I'm forever grateful that I was able to see that exhibit and that it came to somewhere accessible and that it happened, of course, um, at a time when I was able to travel. <laughs> yes. And I finally got you to New York City. So, yeah, Wins all around. <laughs> So shall we talk about what's next, um, the Amazon show, I suppose? Well, the other thing that happened in the uh, period of time, and I, and don't really need to go too deep into this, but another thing that did happen over the course of the time we were not recording is Christopher Tolkien passed away. That's right. Oh, I forgot. That was that. January of last year. Uh, that was that, that's right. Just that over a year ago. Twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. He was old too. Ninety five. He was ninety. Yeah, ninety five. Damn. When someone that old passes away, not to say that it's not a sad event, but my my, my, my sorrow is always mixed with a, that's a good way to go out, you know? 
Well, he, yeah, he lived a long and full life. And I think at the time too, I um, was thinking about this, you know, what a true Middle Earth scholar as well. Christopher Tolkien did a lot to preserve his, his father's legacy. And that was, you know, a long, full life and well-lived and um, with, with great purpose too. Yeah. We are all indebted to him here. He, he was such a great steward because I feel like if he had not had as much of a uh, firm grip on the legacy, I feel like the Tolkien legacy would probably not be remembered as fondly or held in such high regard as it is today. He definitely had an example of what a bad steward does. <laughs> Wait, what was that? You said he was a great steward, so I said, well, it helps that he had an example. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> You know, it is it is kind of like when I heard about like Sean Connery passing away at ninety on a beach in his sleep, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, like that's the way to go. Yeah, that's exactly. the way to go." Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now we have what's happening next in the Tolkien fandom, which Chase has done a lot of research on the upcoming Amazon show, and we are now going to, I suppose, share our feelings about it. Well, to to start off, like this thing, I I remember hearing the story about this in twenty seventeen when. Amazon was in a bidding war with Netflix over the rights to um, make a TV show off of the Lord of the Rings. And they ended up winning with like, they threw like $250 million at the project, like completely overbidding Netflix. They, they didn't need to throw that much money at it. And to kind of like two things happen at the same time with two things. I love Lord of the Rings and Stephen King. Um, Specifically, the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight, not the Dark Knight, the Dark Tower, sorry, the Dark Tower series. Um, Amazon bought the rights to do a TV show off the Dark Tower uh, series as well by Stephen King at the exact same time. And so these were kind of being produced at the same time. Um, the pilot for the Dark Tower series did get shot, but they ended up not picking up on it. Instead, they ended up going ahead with this Lord of the Rings television series, which has already announced five seasons. Bunch of weird things about this. Jeez, They've already announced five seasons. Really? It will cost. They've thrown like a billion dollars behind it. It will, right? it will cost one billion dollars. That is not including the two hundred fifty million they already threw at it. And I have a plot synopsis, or I have a synopsis that came out in January. There was a previous one that was wrong, apparently. That just states, Amazon Studios' forthcoming series brings to screens for the fir- very first time the heroic legends of the fabled Second Age of Middle Earth's history. This epic drama is set thousands of years before the events of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and will take viewers back to an era in which great powers were forged, kingdoms rose to glory, and fell to ruin. Unlikely heroes were tested, hope hung by the finest of threads, and the greatest villain that ever flowed from Tolkien's pen threatened to cover all the world in darkness. Beginning in a time of relative peace, the series follows an ensemble cast of characters both familiar and new, as they confront the long-feared reemergence of evil to Middle-earth. From the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains, to the majestic forests of the elf capital of Lindon, to the breathtaking island kingdom of Numenor, to the furthest reaches of the map, these kingdoms and characters will carve out legacies that live on long after they are gone. That is the plot synopsis as of January 2020. They apparently did start production in 20... No, sorry, that's a synopsis from January of 2021, Production apparently did start in New Zealand in 2020. Of course, it all got postponed. Um, they are shooting in New Zealand. 
And they are shooting seasons one and season two at the same time, apparently. And the first two episodes are going to be directed by J. Ona Bayona, who directed one of my favorite movies of all time, The Orphanage, and one of my least favorite movies of all time, The Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Katie, you want to you wanna fill us in on the second age? I mean, I assume that, I like I said, I have not done research about about this show. I've basically, I'll wait and I'll watch it when it comes out. That's my official stance on it. Um, but it'll, during the second age, um, I think it's going to focus a lot on elves. <laughs> Cause, okay. The, the end of the first age is the burning of the trees, right? Right. Not the burning, but the destruction of the trees. Right. And the end of the second age is Sauron's first. Sauron's first fall. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So you think potentially we'll get like Melkor in here? I don't know. I don't, I, I wouldn't. The, the talk had always been that they really wanted to do a project that was hardcore focusing on aspects of the Silmarillion. And so that could be the case. It's a, it's a, it sounds like almost, we're getting almost like the Kalabath as well. The other th- thing that's weird too, and I, and I really looked and I tried to do as I was thinking for as many connections that this production has to various different things over the last 20 years of media nothing connects like no person at all connects back to the uh new line cinema lord of the rings films at all there's connections to stranger things and uh the new star wars movies and tv shows and like even stranger things but nothing even connects to you already said stranger things i did well you said it twice (laughs) doubly so um, there's even a connection to the X-Files, like a producer that worked on the X-Files is producing this, which kind of makes me a little excited. Just, just a touch. It's like <laughs> the one thing that made me excited. Yeah. I mean, what I, like, like I said, the first, the first time that I heard about this series and I think it was originally proposed that they were going to follow the story of young Aragorn. And I was concerned about that. Oh, thank God we didn't get like, you know, Aragorn, colon, a Lord of the Rings story and the way that we got Solo, <laughs> a Star Wars story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm down for like, you know, give me some Glorfindel fighting dragons. <laughs> but who knows? I don't know what we'll see. There's, I, I like, I, I feel like things are very tight-lipped still at this point because, again, from that, like, brief synopsis from this January, um, super vague. You know what I find really fascinating is, like, this wave that we're in right now of, like, the, what do we call it? Like, it's like a prequel, but it's like a mega prequel or something in that it's, like, so far before what we like that there's no connection at all like like star wars is doing this with the high republic and apparently game of thrones is doing this and they canceled the first show that they were going to do that was like four thousand years before the current game of thrones show but like i find it so weird that that's the trend that everybody's going to is like oh okay let's just go to like a history that was like several thousand years before this other show i mean it's funny that i feel like star wars sort of started that with its expanded universe um in like the 80s like i feel like that's the that, that that's where that kind of started but it was like a novel form not like we're getting movies and tv shows that are doing the same thing i mean even in a weird roundabout way marvel's doing the same thing with the show with the movie internals which takes place like three thousand years to like thirty-five thousand years for the events of the mcu so could you imagine if they did the same thing with like beloved non 
genre TV show shows. Like we get a Mad Men prequel that's like the like a history of like the Dutch East India Company or something. <laughs> or we get like a Breaking Bad prequel that takes place during the Opium Wars. Or an X Files prequel show that is like the aliens crash landing during like the caveman era. <laughs> oh my god, and it turns into ancient aliens. <laughs> That's what all those monoliths that have been appearing all over the world are. They're just a uh, a promo ad campaign for this <laughs> ancient aliens X Files show. <laughs> it also sounds like J like JJ Abrams had a lot to do with was apparently like in the position of being executive producer on this show, and it sounds like a lot of like the ideas from of this young Aragorn thing came out of Bad Robot uh, when they were working on it. So I think that actually was going to be a thing, but they realized that that was not a good idea. I'm so glad that J.J. Abrams has has finally made himself toxic because I have to say, after sitting through what he did to Star Trek, oh, it was very satisfying to see him faceplant with Star Wars. Yeah, that, that that's definitely the case. It definitely seems like his brand doesn't quite synergize as it once did because he was, to wrap it back around to like when Amazon was also going to do the Dark Tower show, he was really big and wrapped up in the Dark Tower show and... Again, sounded better than this Lord of the Rings show, but it, that might have had some hand in it too. Michael Rooker was going to be in that Dark Tower show. It was going to be whatever. <laughs> That's a weird series that goes places. <laughs> but yeah, right at, at this moment, like originally this show was supposed to come out last fall, and now it's not. <laughs> Who knows when it's coming out? I mean, shooting in New Zealand is easier right now than it is shooting in America, so. Yeah, because New Zealand has a competent politician in charge who actually was able to manage the, uh, you know, the social response to the pandemic and they just have it under control. Yeah. And was able to have like, you know, barbecues where the president was actually able to be at the barbecues, whatever. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it sounds like even like a lot of production has even been shifted over to New Zealand due to policy changes that happened in shooting The Hobbit as well oh yeah it's a really effed up situation though and i highly highly endorse Lindsay ellis's three-part series on youtube about the making of the hobbit series about to, i was about to say like i feel like within the last four years of us not recording that like the weird political stuff that happened around the making of the hobbit really came to light uh and that was sort of enlightening how how messed up it was yeah how messed up it was and how it completely shifted the political, like how one film production basically shifted the political lab. Like, it was weird. It's a it's a weird story, and I highly recommend anyone look it up. So I feel like at this point we would normally be wrapping up an episode by talking about our favorites from the past week, both in the text and outside of it. Uh, so let's do the same thing. What's the favorite thing that's happened to you in the last four years? Go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but I, you know, for the last year, we've all been spending way more time in front of our TVs than ever before. So I feel like we've all got some new gems that we've at least, you know, can appreciate. Starting off with is the fact that they recently re-released re the original Lord of the Rings trilogy in the stunning 4K remaster with Dolby Atmos as well. I recently rewatched them all. I know Chase, you did as well. And they just oh, are beautiful, stunning transfers. Uh, highly worth checking it out if you have the necessary, you know, AV setup. Although they're also re-releasing these transfers into IMAX and that's stupid and you shouldn't go to a freaking IMAX theater right Don't now or that. in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but I do endorse watching it at home if you have a 4K TV with the Dolby Atmos setup. 
I mean, and the Alas. biggest thing about that is, is it's, 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 um, they do the thing that I would like to see more filmmakers or more productions be able to do. And I mean, Peter Jackson holds a lot of control over those movies, so it makes sense why he's able to do this. But there's a, there was a, there was a cleanliness and almost like a fine tooth comb sort of mentality to that restoration where nothing was changed, but it was definitely pristine. It reminded me a lot of, when Ridley Scott released the final cut of Blade Runner in 2007. And that was a beautiful restoration that of a weird cut of that movie, but, <laughs> but, but it's a beautiful restoration. that just shows like a lot of care put behind it. And I feel like a lot of care has not been thrown at a lot of these 4k rest like a lot of these 4k transfers quite like that. Yeah. I have to say something that I always had an issue with in the DVD transfers were the, the kind of the lighting effects in Rivendell, you know, the lighting in Rivendell is very like ethereal and same true for Lorien and in the DVD transfer that I grew up with, uh, it felt very kind of mudded the way that the light came through and it really just shines through beautifully now in HDR. It almost looks like if this was a movie shot in the 60s, it'd be like Vaseline on the on the lens. But I know it's like digit. It was like a digital thing they did, and they just removed that, and it just looks way better. <laughs> I remember. I remember. I had the Fellowship of the Ring on VHS. Oh my god! I did too. Two. Yeah, it was, it was a two, two tape deal. Mm-hmm. And it is one of those movies that it's burned in my brain where you switch the tapes. Well, okay, but the DVD, at least, I think the extended editions were also two, two. So that's burned into my brain. Like when the when the Fellowship leaves Rivendell, in Fellowship, like I'm like, okay, time to put it in the second disc. Mm-hmm. I was such a nerd that I actually bought a five disc DVD changer so I could keep multiple copies of Lord of the Rings in at the same time. And then all of the cast interviews on the extra discs <laughs> oh of course i mean it's not surprising to me that i'm now dabbling my hands in filmmaking given the fact that i kind of babysat myself for a couple of years with like making of stuff and like commentaries like i feel like there was a golden age for that kind of stuff in the 2000s and you don't really have as much of it in as high quality as you used to mm-hmm. since we moan since we moanly since we mostly consume our movies like through streaming now and i really miss that well, I, I definitely feel like that there was a period of time and it was the DVD, like when my family first got a DVD player in 2002. And so I burned through the special features of our copy of Signs, Minority Report, and Castaway. So, Oh, early DVDs. The <laughs> early DVDs that we had were 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That, and um, Lost in Space, which I know is a personal favorite of yours, Chase. I love that movie. I love that stupid movie so much. <laughs> Been, I've been. Let's just say, over the last year, I've been burning through my like sick day movies and my feel good movies that it's like I love, but not really anyone else loves. And like Lost in Space was definitely one of those. <laughs> Chase and I also revisited recently Space Cowboys, which does not hold up as well as we remembered. No. <laughs> like we remembered it being a cheesy kind of dumb movie about old people going to space, but wow. Like that script is, is is threadbare. There's not really any tension to it, and stuff just kind of wraps up. It doesn't make any sense. It's well, that's a Clint Eastwood movie for you. There's yet. some weird like Cold War politics in that movie too. That we're like, this doesn't really. This is weird in the year 2000, let alone 2021. I'm trying to think of like anything. I, I'm only just thinking about the the last week, really. I'm not gonna like say like, oh, like I loved. 
Last Jedi was one of my favorite Star Wars and one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I, the last movie I saw in theaters was Birds of Prey, which is on my top 10 of all time. I don't care what anyone says. But over the last week, I did see two movies that are definitely standing out to me. I watched yesterday Judas and the Black Messiah. I actually have to thank, I have to thank, I love HBO Max for actually releasing all their movies. Like Warner Bros. releasing all their movies, HBO Max. Because it has made it that every week I we get like a movie that'd be in theaters and then we just get to watch it. And one of them was Judas and the Black Messiah, which is the best one so far from this trend, which is the story about the the FBI's undercover investigation of, of the Black Panther Party, specifically Fred Hampton. It's a very tragic, very well-acted movie that is pretty powerful. The second, the second movie I want to highlight that I watched this past week is the exact opposite in every capacity called PG Psycho Goreman. <laughs> which is basically a throwback to 1980s trauma uh, monster movies. And it is not for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) The story is is about a um, space demon that gets buried on Earth as punishment and gets dug up by a little girl and her brother. And now they have control over this super demon from space. And they have it do its dark bidding and it's adorable and stupid and gory and disgusting and amateurish and i kind of loved it (laughs) nice uh i recently watched queen and slim also on hbo max and also starring daniel kaloya from judas and the black messiah and i really appreciated it and enjoyed it as a movie so i'd highly recommend it um but also chase you and i recently rewatched in honor of christopher Plummer's death uh, we watched The Sound of Music, which was another one of those movies that we had as a two-part VHS, and you had to switch the uh, switch the cartridges in, you know, as a kid. So you had a two-part VHS, and I had it recorded on the same VHS as Return of the Jedi, which was makes some weird things in my brain. <laughs> well, it just means that you had it recorded on, like, the really low-quality option. But that movie is a lot better than I remembered from my childhood. You know, when you watch the movie as a kid, it just like the the plot is like the, oh, this is what's happening in the story. Okay, what's next? Oh, well, now they leave, whatever. But like watching it now when there's this added context of them like escaping fascism and all of that creeping in, like the scene at the end where they're at the concert festival and everyone in the audience starts singing with them and stuff in violation of the Nazis. It's just like, oh, it was really, if you haven't watched Sound of Music in a while, give yourself a good evening and watch it because it's just it's a very good film it's not a controversial opinion by any measure but i definitely needed that pick me up yeah i think i don't know i uh similarly have been finding a lot of kind of feel good um old standard favorites over the past year um but i also found some new things and one of those of course was schitt's creek so over the past I I can't remember if I started it. I started it pre-pandemic, I think. I think I started it pre-pandemic because I do recall forcing some friends to watch an episode one time. Uh, But but I started Schitt's Creek at some point, probably early in 2020. Uh, And it's just delightful. People can be good. (laughs) Things can be good. We can have nice things. Um, I love anything with Eugene Levy, of course. Um, and then, of course, after watching Schitt's Creek, I rewatched Best in Show and some other uh, some other old favorites. But yeah, yeah, Schitt's Creek has been one of my favorite things. So now I feel like I'm a, a member of 
a cast member on the show because I'm dressed only in black and white. Right now. <laughs> yeah, you have a very David Rose look going on right now. <laughs> Or possibly even Moira. Moira does a lot of black and white looks, too. (laughs) This is fashion. Best in Show is one of my favorite movies, and I once watched it three times a row in the same day because I love that movie so much. Would Schitt's Creek be something I would love? I think so. It's a very good, like, comfort food kind of, like, chicken soup show. You know, you watch it, you... You know the characters, you understand the place, and it just feels good. It's literally the most recommended show I've ever encountered in my (laughs) life because everyone I know has recommended it. My family has recommended it. My sister has recommended it to me every time I see her. So (laughs) I think I need to watch that show. Well, Chase, check it out. Next week, you can join us with our new episode, Sharing Shit. (laughs) (laughs) The Shit's Creek stream. I don't think anyone wants that. Uh, I'm sh- <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we really wanted to make a podcast that would never end, we could just do a um, like a watch along podcast. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, oh my! Yeah, that. Would... Oh my! I feel like I feel like there's just I I feel like there would just be like one episode in particular that I would want to spend five episodes on. Frank's pretty lady. Yep. Uh, anyway, we're. Uh, getting distracted here so i feel like this is a good time to wrap it up so thanks again for joining us on this special talking tolkien reunion episode i'm gonna do a shameless plug one more time and if you want to contribute to the kickstarter for my film you can do so at talkingtolkien.com velvet so thank you for joining us everyone this has been talking tolkien i'm juliana i'm katie and i'm chase and stay safe